especially when I was going through the accident. She was like, the most you can do right now is the most you can do right now, and that's good. When I was really, really injured, concussion, lungs, broken ribs, all the stuff, I couldn't do a lot. <laughs> so she was like, find the most you can do right now and do the most you can do right now, and that's good. Welcome to The Other Three Years, a show for anyone who has an Olympic-sized dream they want to turn into a reality. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of The Other Three Years podcast. This week, my guest is the 2023 U.S. Rowing Female Athlete of the Year and fellow World Champs bronze medalist, Sophia Lewis. Sophia, like literally all of the Team USA lightweight uh, women's rowers, is a total badass. She graduated from college in 2020 and then skyrocketed her way on to the national team in only two years, making her first team last summer in 2022. Unfortunately, Sophia and another of her boatmates last summer were in a pretty bad car accident shortly before they were scheduled to travel to the world champs. And so instead of racing in her first international race, she was recovering in a hospital last summer. Sophia spent this year coming back from the accident and did a super impressive job. Over this summer, she raced and finished in the medals at two World Cups and then topped it all off with her bronze medal in the lightweight women's single at the World Champs. Then she was voted the U.S. Rowing Athlete of the Year, which is voted on by the rest of the national team, and I personally think one of the highest honors you can get. And it was so deserved. Like, she had such an incredible year, and I think everyone's just so impressed by her and so proud of her. So I had a really great time chatting with Sophia. We know... We talked about how she got into rowing, her first experience with injuries, and how she's balanced like having such a nomadic life and moving around a lot. We did talk about the accident and then getting back into shape this year and, and how it's still something that she has to deal with all the time. So it was a really fun conversation. And I think, you know, her story is so inspirational and she's so inspirational and the way that she just kind of deals with adversity and and pushes through things like no matter what is something that we can all learn from. So it's really, I think, a great conversation and a great episode. So I hope you all really enjoy it. But before we get into that, here's an update on what's currently going on in my training. So this past week uh, in Saratoga, we hosted the Head of the Fish Regatta, which it's my job to run. So I had a super busy work week, but also a pretty good training week last week. Had some really good workouts during the week, feeling definitely a lot more like myself in training and just really excited to be training, which is really nice. And then kind of capped it off with my own race at the Head of the Fish. And I went pretty quick, which I was really happy about and the weather at least Saturday morning for the open singles was like really really nice so we got to capitalize on that and it was fun but the whole weekend was like great it did rain on Sunday truly all day I felt pretty bad Sunday's like the high school day so I felt bad for the high school uh, coaches and athletes, but so many of them like did such a great job dealing with the conditions, dealing with mud and rain and wind and everything, and still like, you know, going out and putting together really great performances. It's definitely a bit of a load off my chest to be done with all of my fall racing, the busiest season of my fall for like work. And now I can just really focus on training, which is 
really exciting to me. Like, it's going to be hard and tough, but I think it'll be really good also. I'm not going to race anymore this fall. A lot of my teammates are going to the fall speed order in a few weeks down in Princeton, but I'm not going to go to that. I just really want to focus on just training and getting in the meters and getting in the miles and being tired all the time. So going to bed is really easy. And then, you know, kind of in the new year, get back into getting ready for races. So yeah, it's this week's been good so far. Yesterday was Halloween, which was exciting. Nobody dressed up at practice, which was sad. I really thought that some of my younger teammates would you know, take one for the team and wear a cool outfit, but they didn't. But some of the SRA Masters rowers did dress up, which was super fun. They were like amazing, amazing costumes. Someone was a donut. I loved it. She's awesome. It was great. Like her face was like surrounded by a donut. It was was great. So yeah, that's kind of what's going on. Now it's November and it snowed in Saratoga today. So As soon as Halloween was over, it snowed. Now it is time for my conversation with Sophia Lewis. I'm super excited to have Sophia Lewis on the podcast this week. Sophia, thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me. So obviously you've had like a pretty incredible last couple of years, but I thought that it would be fun to start by just talking about kind of how you got into rowing. Um, I did, did you start, did you row in high school? I didn't do, uh, like row for any length of time in high school. I did one summer camp for a week at Thompson Boat Club because my dad really wanted me to. And I kid you not, I finished the week, maybe it was only like four days. And I was like, this is the stupidest sport in the world. All you do is go back and forth on a seat. Why would anybody want to do this? <laughs> Unbeknownst to me, my dad was trying to get me into it so that I could get a scholarship for college because one of his friends told him he was like yeah there's scholarships for women's rowing and he was like ah that's what she'll do he didn't tell me that um but yeah no I did not row in high school (laughs) I was actually telling someone the other day they like asked me how I got into rowing and I was like oh whatever I just started it in eighth grade and then I did it in high school but I remember very clearly the first day of like my novice rowing team they like sat us all down and the coach was like hey um so why do you guys want to row and this kid raised his hand and was like I heard you could get recruited to college to row I was a freshman in high school and I was I remember sitting there being like what why would you be doing this sport to go you know I mean funny how it all turned out but yeah um, yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's just, yeah, that it was is, not on my radar. <laughs> yeah. So then when you got to William and Mary, right? Mm-hmm. School. Yeah. So when you got there, were you just like, oh, rowing? <laughs> uh, so I, I did cross country and like weightlifting in high school. I didn't compete in weightlifting, but I did it um, all the seasons that I wasn't uh, doing cross country. Cause I was too scared to do any other sport cause I don't like being bad at things. <laughs> um, but I had really, really bad performance anxiety in cross country. So once I finished, uh, in high school, I was like, okay, I'm not doing any other competitions. I get way too anxious. I'm, I'm never going to compete like that again. I'm going to join some like marathon running club, something that's like competing, but not really competing. So William and Mary has this club fair at the first week of school during orientation stuff and all the clubs just set up tables and you can walk around and sign up for email lists and somebody was they had a rowing table and they're like come join crew no experience necessary we get off campus 
and at William and Mary, you're not allowed to have a car your freshman year. And the, I, I was like, I want to get off campus. I've rode before. I did a whole week. I have experience. Did not have experience. Um, but the idea of getting off campus was nice. So I signed up, forgot about it for the first like three weeks, and then saw somebody on my dorm room hall going to a practice one day. I was like, hey, wait, I'll come with you. I forgot that I signed up for that. Um <laughs> So I went, started doing it. I wasn't the worst at it. And as long as I'm not the worst, I'm like, okay, I can then become the best if I'm not the worst. (laughs) Um, But really, it was just like I had some base level of fitness from cross country and other people didn't. So as soon as we got on the ergs, my times were faster. And then that was enticing. And it just kind of escalated from there. (laughs) That's awesome. That's really funny, though. Um. I signed up for that. I just forgot to go. (laughs) Well, I signed up for like crew team and cheese club. I was signing up for everything. So (laughs) it seems like you're a competitive person and want to like, you know, be good at things and try hard. But I feel like there is a transition from just like that and doing something recreationally, accueing it to cheese club and then like trying to make like a U23 team or a senior team. Like when do you think that transition happened for you? It was the spring, mostly the spring of my freshman year, I think, because I didn't know, like, what existed beyond club rowing. Like, to me, rowing was just a bunch of kids who didn't go to Cheese Club, went out to the boathouse and rowed for, like, an hour or something. I didn't, like, I I, I had to have known that there was an Olympic level, but, I, like, what we were doing was so far removed, there was no pathway. Like, I didn't know U23s or anything existed. But the spring of my freshman year, we did um, an ERG competition in the gym, and I pulled a pretty good time for a freshman. And one of the assistant coaches on the team, Will Meeker, had done other higher levels of rowing. And then him and my coach both saw my time and were like, hey, you should apply to summer camps or summer development camps and keep rowing over the summer and try to get better. So I went on row 2k and like typed in summer rowing camps. I didn't know the difference between a development camp and a selection camp. So I was like, what are all these things? I don't know. (laughs) But university of Wisconsin was having a development camp. Um, that summer I applied, got in, I thought they were going to do races in the summer. They didn't. So I was in Wisconsin for like three weeks, destroying my hands, trying to row a pair, like on the wrong side where none of the toes worked. And it was just a disaster. But that's where I learned about like, oh, there's lightweight rowing, there's open weight rowing, there's this thing called U23s. And if you have a fast enough erg score time, then you can apply to a selection camp, not a development camp. So that was the first like oh, this is a step above club rowing. And then the next summer I did the Potomac sculling camp because I didn't get into a U23 selection camp that summer. And then the following summer, 2019, I did get into U23 selection. And that's kind of how that went. I just always find it kind of amazing, like how quickly people are able to kind of make – like that jump. And I feel like it is much more like 
the kind of person that you are, you know, I, I guess I feel like, and maybe you don't agree, but it it is like a kind of person (laughs) thing instead of just like a rowing thing. You were just, you just decided, Oh, I'm, I want to be better at this and it happens to be rowing. And so I'm going to find a way. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like I, I, people in that sense, definitely people have asked me before, like, Oh, do you just love rowing? Like, do you want to just be on the water all the time? And like, there are aspects of it that are unique to rowing that I do really love and that keep me coming back. But as a person, since I was a kid, I just had that like want and desire to like, I want to really be good at something, like really sink my teeth into something and just work on it and be good. But I had never actually been really great at something. And when I was in college doing the ERG stuff on the team and like as a novice was faster than all the varsity, that was like a spark. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. So I wasn't great at cross country, but I might be okay at this. (laughs) When do you feel like you kind of made the decision that you wanted to keep rowing post-college? Well, I graduated. How did you make that decision? (laughs) My senior year was the great year of 2020. Um, Mm. So we were on our spring break training trip in Florida when we got the email that said school is canceled. Don't come back to campus. Like, go anywhere else. (laughs) We don't know if the world's ending. I hadn't thought too much past like the spring of my senior year. I thought like maybe I'll because I, w- I did a lot of strength training at a CrossFit gym. I was like, maybe I'll get a CrossFit certification and coach or just, I had barely started the job application process for post-college and then everything shut down and nobody was hiring. Nobody was doing anything. So Mark Grinsberg up at uh, Riverside emailed me one day and was like, Hey, are you still interested in rowing post-college? I thought that I probably was going to be done after I'd like raced at dad Vales, raced at Acros. Cause those were really big races to me at the time. I was like, I'm going to get gold at both of those. And then I'm going to hang up my oars. Then I'm going to be done. But Mark emailed me. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. Sure. Yeah. I'll go to, I'll, I want to keep rowing. And he was like, if you want to come to Boston, there's a lot of COVID restrictions. We can't put your boat in the boathouse. You can't even launch from Riverside you can't be a member yet. We don't know about anything, but if you want to come, we'll coach you. And I was like, okay, I'll go. (laughs) So I moved up there and again, it was COVID. The world championships had been canceled. Like nothing was happening. So it was more of a, nobody knows what's happening yet next. I don't know what I'm doing, but I can keep rowing. So I'll do that. And then like along the way, it became like, okay, I'll try for a national team. Oh, okay, I'll keep doing this. I feel like it's really hard when, you know, like you're saying, okay, I'm going to race at these races and, you know, these are my goals, but then it just like doesn't happen that way. You're like, okay, I guess I'll just, I don't know. (laughs) I guess I'll just keep going. Um, But yeah, COVID was definitely, I don't think people like understood because I feel like I talk to people and they're like, it's an outdoor sport and you guys row singles. Like why... Like, it should just be easy. It's like, no, we were not allowed to, like, law. The docks were closed. And, you know, you weren't allowed to do all these things. You were in Boston for, like, I don't know, a year, maybe? 
No, actually, not just even. a couple. Yeah, no, just a couple months because I. So I moved there on August 2nd and was training with Riverside. And like, funny, because the same thing just happened two weeks ago now. The theory is, at least at that point, was I had been training at a club and. I had a trainer down there, um, Matt Midnight at CrossFit 1607, who he was doing a lot of my conditioning. So I was doing more volume than a like average club rower, like outside on the, um, outside of team practices, I was doing volume on an erg and lifting, but it's not the same amount of volume as you do on a high performance team. And I mm-hmm. probably did not give enough credence to that and increase that volume too much. Plus it's the Charles, lots of turns. So all of that to say is I got a my first of many rib uh, strain injuries and wasn't rowing for a while, doing a lot of cross-training, but Kara Stewicki had just come up to Boston to do some doubles matrices because this was right before the Olympic trials. So she was up in Boston and she got sick or she wasn't feeling well or something and I was injured. And then as she was coming out of her sickness and I, as I was just getting back on the water, Mark was like, Hey, why don't you guys jump in a double together? Cause you're both kind of not a hundred percent. Just see how it goes. And it went all right. And so that was like Karen and I first linking up and she invited me to come down to Florida. I went down with Kara in December for a week and then was still with Riverside when we went down to Sarasota to start training for the Olympic trial January. So I was living with Jillian Zeef and Helen Samaniego in Sarasota for January, February, and then raced at the Olympic trial. I raced the open single in the Olympic trial for 2021. I didn't do well, but I didn't get cut from the time trial. And that's my claim to fame is in the open single. I think I came like 14th like yeah that's pretty good because that was still that was still the four lane progression so it's hard to make it out of the time the four lane progression was a tough cut so yeah Yeah. i'm just telling us i when people ask like yeah i raced in the open weight olympic trial you know no big (laughs) deal (laughs) i had no delusions that i would be anywhere other than the bottom but still I was like oh my gosh I am racing all the big girls wow I feel like that is a good eye-opener for I mean the whole point of the podcast is kind of a like look into what it's like actually like to be training and it is so hard to keep track of all of the different years and all the different places and teams and things that we're doing so I, I it's think so it, all over the place. Like uh, yeah. since I moved out of my parents' place to go to college, so that was what that was like 2016. I've moved 12 or 13 times. Some of them were like for two to th- some of them were like three weeks. I don't think I counted any of the ones that it was less than a week. But yeah, I've moved a lot. Slept <laughs> in my car for a little while. Oh my gosh. It was fine. There was no running water though. That was not so great. But anyways, yeah, you move a lot. You gotta yeah. stay mobile. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely like a very nomadic life. Do you feel like now you've found a bit more of like a sustainable, um, kind of like home base situation? Cause now you've been like in this with the same team for a little while. 
actually Sean is the coach I've had for the longest, for the longest rowing coach, the Matt midnight, the strength coach I've had, I've been with him for like six years. But as far as rowing coaches go, I had a different rowing coach every year that I rode, but I've been with Sean since the spring of 2021. Cause right after that Olympic trial, I met up with the Penn AC group at Canal 54. And then when he left Penn AC to go to White March, I followed him. So I definitely being Pennsylvania and having Sean as my coach has been the most stable, like I've been for a while. And the host family that we have now that Audrey and I live with the same host family, it feels the most stable. I know like I could be here for X amount of more months versus before it was like, I, I didn't sign any leases. I haven't signed a lease in years because I'm like, I might have to go to Florida and I don't want to pay rent there and here. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, no, I think that it's like hard to explain to people. Like I have an apartment that I will live in for three to four months out of the year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like yeah. you do sometimes go quote unquote home for like certain periods of time. So you need a place to live. You know, it's, it's hard to explain. So I feel like it's pretty impressive, like how quickly you kind of came from being like a club, you know, athlete and maybe not having that much exposure to like elite rowing or, you know, whatever this whole kind of world, lightweight rowing, that kind of thing to like making the national team, like making the team in 2022 Mm. after graduating from college in 2020 that's a pretty quick turnaround it's quick but like I'm sure you probably feel this the same way in rowing more so than other sports it's not the most uncommon to hear that like um the one that I always think of is Amanda Elmore who started rowing Mm -hmm. at a club at Purdue where my first one of my first rowing coaches was a coxswain at Purdue she started her freshman year and then five years later was stroking the women's eight at the Olympics. And so yeah. in my head, I'm like, she did it in five years. So if you're doing it anything longer than five years, you're taking your time, So, which is not true. But in my head, I was like, yeah, of course, it's possible. Of course. I didn't do much else other than rowing. Like, I'm not one of these people who was trying to become a doctor while I was rowing. Props to you guys. Props. <laughs> I got a master's degree, but it was part-time and it was online. So it was super flexible. I mean, I, it definitely is impressive. I mean, everyone's journey is different, but I think it takes people different mm-hmm. amounts of time. But um, making – I mean, first of all, I feel like you guys – If I am not a lightweight rower, obviously, which to – to be completely honest, I find it very impressive, just like my rowing in general. <laughs> but I I know that because the double is the only Olympic boat class, so much of the other boat classes like is really left up to kind of athlete and like high performance club coach decisions. And I feel mm. like that can be really tough. Or from the outside, it seems like it can be tough because there's not like sort of a clear cut path into maybe what like the priority is or, Mm. you know, having different people in different places doing different things. And there's not like a common, you know, pathway maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, But it seemed like in 2022, at least like you guys had a very clear vision of what you were doing and like 
and like put, you know what I mean? So do you just yeah. want to share kind of how that came to be and like what that process was like, um, like for you guys? Maybe that's why the timeline was able to be shorter is because we don't have all these different options of potential seats. Like we, I can't sit in an open weight eight an open weight four an open weight quad and all these things. So your options are so limited and to be, fair the pool of athletes is very limited like there aren't 50 lightweight women in the country vying for a seat it's kind of a game of attrition for as far as a quad goes we sean myself and my teammates at the time in the beginning of that year very clearly were like we should try to put together a quad because they are a lightweight quad is really hard to put together. They're usually thrown together last minute and then they do really poorly overseas because it's like, as soon as they've picked the double and the single, then whoever's left is like, let's try to make a quad. And then it's not great. So we went into that year knowing that the goal was the quad and that uh, Michelle and Molly were probably going to do the double. So we were contacting different, lightweight women throughout the year being like, Hey, come try this quad. And after speed order, we asked a bunch of them to hang around for an extra day and jump in and jump in seats and switch that up. Um, so it was very much the goal the whole time. And so, you know, it made the decision of what we were going to do pretty easy when you say like, okay, we're not going that boat. We're not going that boat. We're just trying to get four people to commit to this one thing. And, try to do something that the U.S. doesn't typically do and actually put effort into this quad. And so that's why we raced overseas at Women's Henley and Hollenbecker because we wanted to show up to world championships, not as a thrown together quad, but as something that we had actually put time and effort into. Like it's one thing to have a plan, but it's like another mm-hmm. thing for it to be like, yeah, this plan was successful. Like, do you feel like mm-hmm. going to those races and like spending more time in that boat like was helpful for your personal kind of athlete development? Those of us who've been in the quad that I uh, still talk to now, like we all say like it was a huge learning experience. Like we didn't, a lot of stuff went wrong overseas with equipment. Um, We had some crashes and stuff like that, but just the whole process of traveling overseas for a competition, like, having to deal with the equipment malfunctions and steering malfunctions like taught us a lot and then even learning how like getting boat feel in doubles versus quads and singles like there would be days we'd switch between all three boat classes in a day and that the impact of that on how I can feel a boat is huge like I don't think you can put a a number to it because I talk to athletes now and they're like I don't know what like boat feel is, or or we talk about it and we do all these drills and it's like, personally, I feel things best and learn things best when I have them like in contrast. So how something felt in a double with one person versus how something felt in a quad with other people. That's how I actually learned like this movement does this thing to this boat and it will produce this result. And like, I don't think I would have learned that without it. I think had a couple things not happened, I think we would have had a okay time at uh, World Championships in that quad in the lineup. We were dealing with 
prior to the accident that we were in, there was an injury in the boat and that might maybe was going to change the lineup. But everything that happened in that season informed or helped me as an athlete develop for sure. Like the negative things, the positive things, all of them. I don't think I am the person or the athlete that I am today without having to go through that whole process. Now, was it successful? I mean, it wasn't successful to the goal that we started out with to get four women together to race a fast quad at world championships. No, we weren't successful in that goal, but were we successful in developing athletes for the next Olympic cycle, which was another goal? I think so. Obviously you can't control like getting into the accident. So I feel like to say it's unsuccessful because of that just isn't really fair to the process. It's more like, I think that like, especially development athletes, you have to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. and energy sort of seeing like how to make yourself ready for an international experience, like maybe without even having mm-hmm. that international experience. And yeah. I think that you guys like did a good job doing that. Um, or it seemed like from the outside, you guys did a good job doing that. But um, we tried. We tried. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We tried. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously the accident was like horrible. Um, and I don't want to make you like get super into it, but I think, um, just, I'm sort of curious, like what was your headspace kind of, obviously not right away, but kind of in the like weeks, months where you like, I a hundred percent want to get back into the rowing. Like I want to get back on the water. I still have these big goals or was it sort of those things pushed out of your mind. And then when it came to a time where you could sort of row again, you were like, okay, I still want to keep doing this. So the accident happened on September 3rd and I didn't have like conscious thought or like wasn't making memories, like forming memories until September 10th. So like, apparently I was talking to people. I kept <laughs> telling all the nurses, like, you can't give me pain meds. I'm getting drug tested. You can't give me drugs. Like, and they were trying to get me to eat food. And I was like, I can't eat food. I have to make weight for the, the quad. So like, yeah, I was not present. Somehow I remembered that the queen died. I woke up on the 10th knowing that the queen had died. How? I don't know. Cause I didn't remember anything else. When people have asked me this before, there's there wasn't any, like, amidst all of the pain meds that I did eventually let people give me, I was very confused. I didn't know what really was real and not, but I never had the thought of, like, okay, I'm done rowing. And even when I was having more conscious thoughts, still on a lot of pain meds, it wasn't, am I or am I not going to get back to rowing? It's just, do I have enough time to get back for the competitions that matter? So there was no like defining moment or decision where I was sitting in the hospital room, like I will do it. It was just like, okay, so how long does all of this take? Like, what, what do we have to do? Is anything like really, really broken? It's just sort of day by day waiting for it to happen. And then even when I was doing it now, later, there were lots of times where I'm like, why am I continuing to do this? (laughs) Especially when we were down in Florida trying to get ready for fall speed order, which I, so I, (laughs) 
the first week that I strung together like a full week of training without having to do all these modifications, it wasn't a fast week of training. It was just, I can do sessions slowly. I found out I had COVID and that put me down again. (laughs) And I was like, so in the accident, I had a a collapsed lung, but there's a hydro pneumothorax. Um, So my lungs were really crappy coming back and then throw COVID on top of that. And I was like, I can't breathe. (laughs) And every day I was like, why am I doing this? But I guess I'll take 10 more strokes. Okay, I guess I'll take 10 more strokes. Okay. (laughs) And that that was me getting ready for fall speed order was like 100 more meters. Just do 100 more meters. I feel like rowing practice is like hard enough just as it is. So it's, (laughs) I can't imagine. But were you like, all right, I want to get back and be competitive. I just, I just want to get back and be racing. Like, like if you had told, if you could go back and tell yourself then like, Oh, you're going to medal at a world cup and a world championship and be like the athlete of the year, Mm -hmm. like would, and would you have been like, yeah, that's what my goal is. I'm trying to do that. (laughs) Or would you have been like, that's a joke. Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. Yeah. Um, I probably would have said that that's a joke because, again, nothing felt good. Like, <laughs> a, a lot of times, you know, we go into 2Ks and we're like, oh, yeah, this is going to hurt. But, like, I'm going to race and I'm going to do this. I I was just like, just row 2,000 meters. Whatever the results are, you will have rowed 2,000 meters. Just <laughs> take as many strokes as it takes. Yeah, no, the whole – I wasn't setting a goal for myself of, like, I'm going to – make it back to make world championships. I'm going to do this. It was okay. Make it to fall speed order to race, like get back to enough fitness that you can show up to a race course and the results will be what they'll be. And then when that happened, it was okay. Get in enough shape and go travel overseas and the results will be what they will be. Mm -hmm. I, as an athlete tend to hate saying like putting absolutes on it like I will get a gold medal that doesn't really work for me maybe it's a cop-out I don't know but I'm much more of the like set controllable goals for myself like if I do everything that I can do then this then the goal I set for myself is absolutely possible like race a 2k hitting all of the technique points like trying to empty the tank like that's my goal for this race or beat this person because I know it's actually an attainable goal versus saying like, I'm going to get a gold medal. Cause you never know, like you don't know what's going to happen on race day. Mm-hmm. You don't know the fastest person in the world could show up and you hope you're the fastest person, but maybe you catch a crab, whatever. So I don't tend to set the big, big goals. Like even with this Olympic cycle saying like, I don't like the, I will make the Olympic team. It's, I will get as fast as I can possibly get. And I will train as fast as, as much as I possibly can, as hard as I can with as much dedication as I can. And the results will be what they will be. And I hope that they are a certain way, but I can't control that. I mean, I think that it's, we have to be able to like control what we can control and like, yeah, of course you, everyone wants to win a gold medal at the Olympics. Like if you were to ask any person training, of course that would be 
great. Like what a weird answer it would be if you were like, oh no, I'd prefer silver. Like, no, of course, you know, (laughs) I think that like you have to be process oriented. Mm. Like what you're saying, I have to, I have to be the best version of myself that I can be. I have to, you know, do every day as good as I can be. I just can't be thinking about one day in Mm -hmm. July of every four years. Like that's the, that you would never make it. Right. So No, so I, get I mean, that. like, even right now, so, like, I, again, with the, with the accident, I was thought we had, you know, moved past that, you know, got my medals and stuff, but no, because um, I'm still very lopsided with the weakness on my left side, which means I overcompensate with my right, and a couple of weeks ago, I injured myself, and it's turning out to be worse than I would like it to be, and so I am actively trying to be that process oriented self because, you know, I wallow and I'm like, have I just destroyed all my Olympic dreams? I'm like, okay, hold on, girl, put a pin in that, (laughs) get yourself together. That are we deciding if you make the Olympics today? No. Okay. What are we deciding today? How to get healthier and better so that you can get back to training. Okay. Do those things today. And if the timeline works out and you can be as fit as you possibly can be in February or in March or whenever, great. If not deal with that when it happens. But right now you are just trying to do this one thing. So I don't always, I'm not always that clear headed about it, especially the last couple of weekends, but in my better moments, I can rise above my anxieties and be like, all right, just do the next best thing. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I think that's good. Like life advice, like sort of controlling your controllables and like, I mean, it's all this stuff is so much easier, like said than done. And you know, we're all high, we're high achieving people. So of course, when things aren't going the way that we want them to go, like it's, it is stressful, you know, (laughs) and this is what you're spending your life doing right now. And so Mm -hmm. if it's not going the way you want it to go and it's, you're, you know, body isn't cooperating with you. Like I think having a reaction to that is very normal and natural and like makes sense. It's mega like, because a lot of the stuff that I'm dealing with now is like this time exactly last year, I was doing the same thing. So there's a lot of PTSD flare ups, a lot of all these Mm. other things. And I'm like, I thought I was past this (laughs) jokes on me. Life doesn't get easier just because you're a year out and you got a couple of medals still get to deal with a lot of the same crap. So let's remember we've done this once before and (laughs) bring out that toolbox, dust some of them off and get to it. So it's really not fun, but yeah, it's, that's life. That's freaking life. Yeah. one thing after another. So can you just talk a little bit about like kind of what meddling at worlds and like being named athlete of the year, like kind of what accomplishing those goals, like meant to you means mm-hmm. to you. And I don't know, it's, it is very impressive. Like yeah. it's really cool. Cause our athlete of the year too, is something that, you know, our, like the team votes on. So I, I yeah. feel like that's, yeah. that's like so cool. And yeah, I mean, it very yeah. deserved like, Oh, thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, the whole summer of racing, I had so many moments of like, is this real life? Is this like <laughs> being on Lake Bled and like seeing that scenery was like, is this real? And then at World Cup 2 in Varese, 
seeing those mountains and being with all like being with being on the same team with you olympian like with all these people around like is this real like i was sharing a room with kara kohler and i was like oh my gosh hi you just woke up hi i'm like a big fan kara if you listen to this i'm not creepy i promise i wasn't staring at you when you sleep i promise no but it like all the the meddling and the being on the team with all these athletes that I looked up to and then having those same people vote for me on this was it was a weird like pinch me moment it's kind of I was thinking about it and it was almost like this might be a bad metaphor but like if if you have siblings if you have a good relationship with your siblings you know you're always beating up on each other all the time like always giving each other crap always 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 but you know at the end of the day you both at least in my family okay, we love each other, but we're not going to say that because that's too emotional. You know, <laughs> my mom's from the Northeast. We're not overly emotional in our family. <laughs> um, but somehow in some vein, having the team vote for me for that athlete of the year felt somewhat like that. Like not that we're all beating up on each other, but you know, you, we all admire, at least like from my standpoint, I admire you guys all so much. I don't go up and tell you all the time, like, oh, I'm a huge fan. <laughs> Although I did just say that to Kara um, <laughs> and you. But to get that award felt somewhat like your siblings come up, coming up to you and like unironically saying, hey, good job. It felt like an unironic good job is maybe the best way to say it. I think that's good. And, and I actually think that like it's been really cool since the team like spends more time together because I feel like there has been just a lot more like team team camaraderie and team like Mm -hmm. appreciation of each other. And I think that's great Mm -hmm. because it's like, yeah, it's really impressive what people are doing. Mm -hmm. We get to see how much, like we see firsthand how much hard work our teammates are putting in. And so being able to celebrate each other is just like Mm -hmm. such a cool thing. Like, but about the like athlete of the year voting. And -hmm. I was like, I kind of wish that you could write like, messages to people like in Mm -hmm. that portal like even if it was like you could write three messages or whatever to different people and then they like emailed those to the to the people that you wrote them to because I just feel like that would be so cool like then you got to kind of read what your teammates like and yeah it could be anonymous or whatever if people Mm -hmm. wanted it to be but I just feel like there's not enough time where we like get to celebrate one another yeah and That's sad because if anyone knows how much we are putting into things, like it is the other people training, you know? Well, I definitely don't want to take like so much of your time, but I feel like the theme (laughs) of this episode is kind of like trying not to see setbacks is like huge and, and seeing what you can do like day to day. And I think that that is something that probably a lot of people resonate with, like if you have any advice for just people, like if things aren't going the way they want them to go and like how they can kind of regain some of that like control and autonomy over their life and their story so that they can sort of rewrite the ship doesn't, isn't like really mm-hmm. what it is, but, but maybe just regain that control. Yeah. Um, um, I, well, I, what you said about everybody's going through something that definitely is true and I remember thinking that when I was going to the start line at um the last winter speed order 
like I had a very public big thing. So everybody knew what I was coming to the start line with, but I remember sitting up there and to sort of help myself down regulate right before racing. I was like, everybody's got stuff they're dealing with at this start line right now. The, as soon as that buzzer goes off, the only thing that matters is the fact that you're all dealing with 2000 meters to eat through. So like that, the accident or this person's mom dying or this person's like going to death, whatever that goes out the window, eat 2000 meters and see who can eat it faster. But in terms of advice or what you can control, um, I talked to uh, a CMPC, basically sports psychologist person. Anyways, and she always says, like, especially when I was going through the accident, she's like, the most you can do right now is the most you can do right now, and that's good. And so when I was really, really injured, concussion, lungs, broken ribs, all the stuff, I couldn't do a lap. <laughs> so she was like, find the most you can do right now. And do the most you can do right now. And that's good. And just do that. And sometimes it was five minutes of walking. Sometimes it wasn't walking at all because I couldn't do that. But yeah, focusing on what you can control. Just like any other race scenario when you're super stressed and super anxious. It's like she always tells me to take a deep breath. And then focus on what you can control. And you don't have to do like the crazy thing to offset whatever bad thing it's just like do one thing right now and then do another thing later and then add them all up and it will be fun <laughs> you're more than just an injured rower or in you're more than just a really fast rower you're a person trying to figure out life yeah which is really hard <laughs> really hard to do <laughs> uh, I think you're pretty good at figuring out life i do a lot of stumbling a lot of like what are we doing yeah i don't know nobody knows anything we're all just here having a good time <laughs> that, that's the advice that you should really, should really end on <laughs> nobody knows anything focus on what you control have a good time the end <laughs> no i mean yeah. i think that's good i mean i think that is really good advice and i think that you should give yourself a little more bit more credit because i think that you know you've it has been it's very impressive like what you've done the past year and I think that training for rowing is like hard enough and throwing in mm. all the other stuff that has happened to you like it is it's just really I mean it's it's impressive you should be proud of yourself um but I know that there are more goals ahead so <laughs> it's so many it's, yeah I think it's hard for us to sometimes not to put my own thoughts on you, but I think it can be hard for like really high level performing people to like give themselves credit for things because it's just mm -hmm. like, okay, well, what's the next goal? What's the next thing? You know, like, yeah, it's, well, it's not the end. Now I'll take your time and pose a question to you because I, I, <laughs> I, especially with like the fact that I can't really row right now, I'm thinking a lot about these bigger ideas and stuff and getting really introspective, but especially with the last year and all the accident and the metal and all the stuff. Um, I feel like we as, and like yourself as somebody who's accomplished a lot, you know, going to the Olympics, overcome what you've overcome and those things. It's like, I think it, you, you're right. It is good to stop and like acknowledge those things. And every now and then, like, especially at 
if you're standing on top of a podium or if you're at a big competition and taking a moment to be like, wow, yeah, that's cool. I did do all those things. Okay. Now to the next thing, because like, I think of what at least my fear is, and I actually just listened to a Ted talk about this actually. (laughs) Oh, I can't remember the name of it, but if you Google sports psych, I'm sure it'll come up. Um, this idea of like taking moments to yes, acknowledge what you've done and what you've accomplished. At least for me, I can't spend too much time thinking about that because I'm worried it will like, I'll lose my edge if I spend too much time resting on those laurels, you know, I'm like, yeah, cool. Okay. I'm going to use that positive thought as like confidence to know, like, okay, I can work through adversity, but I'm not going to spend time thinking about that beyond right now because there's a whole lot more adversity to come and I need to focus on that. So like take the, the little bit that you learned from the past and be like, all right, cool. I'll revisit that when things get really crappy again later for a little extra confidence boost. But for right now, this way. I, I, first of all, I think everyone is different and I think that people are motivated by different things and confident in different ways and all of that stuff. Um, but I do think that it is a balance to find. Mm. It's funny, like after the Olympics, I was talking to somebody that wrote, well, so basically they had um, a like go to the White House weekend after the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And because of the postponement of the Olympics, they did it with the Winter Olympians and they had this whole like Team USA, Washington DC week and like summer Olympians, winter Olympians, this whole thing. Um, and it was during an NSR or a speed order or whatever. I remember that. Yeah. 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 So like some people went to it and I raced at the NSR and I remember talking to somebody that went and they were like, I just feel like it's really important to like celebrate you know, our accomplishments Mm -hmm. and not just like have your head down in what's next. I I remember at the time being like, like it kind of hit me. Like I was like, whoa, Mm -hmm. what are you talking? You know, like, cause it also at that point it was like, oh, it was like a year after we had gone to the Olympics, Mm -hmm. you know, like it wasn't like, oh, we raced at the Olympics two weeks ago and now, well, this is the off time and whatever. It was Mm -hmm. significantly after. Um, Yeah. But I think that, and you know, again, different strokes for different folks. Like I wanted to be racing at that NSR. I, I am more than happy for people that wanted to go and had a great time at Team USA. But you know what I mean? Like it's not a mm-hmm. judgment thing, but I do think it was like a good sort of um, like lesson in, okay, why are we even doing any of this if we're mm, not yeah. going to celebrate and appreciate certain things. I feel like it can also be a little bit uncomfortable to sort of celebrate yourself. I'm sure maybe you feel the same way. Like I, it's sort of awkward, you know, when you come back from worlds with a medal, I've now learned like lots of people want to talk to you about it. And I'm, that's Mm -hmm. not like as rowers, we're not super like that. So it's, I'm sort of like, oh yeah, thanks. And then I had to remind myself like, no, this is a goal that I accomplished and I Mm -hmm. should be proud of myself. (laughs) But you're right because at the same time, I'm like, but I have more goals and I want to, Mm -hmm. I don't want to, 
be like the highlight of my career was this pre-Olympic year medal, you know? So it is, I think it's a tricky balance, but I think that swinging too far either way is a mistake. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, as I'm sure many of our fellow athletes would be, we tend to be a little extreme. (laughs) So I think that's probably why I'm so scared of like spending too much time thinking about like the last summer, especially when I'm like not able to practice right now. I'm like, if I, if I do too much there, then I'm only going to think about that. And I won't think about the future. It's like, no, that's not quite true. But yeah. so how have you celebrated your winning the achievement of your goals recently? Then? <laughs> how are you taking your own advice? Maybe wear your well, medal to the grocery store. <laughs> no, but somebody was so funny. They're like, what'd you do with your medal? I'm like, I don't know. I put it somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where it is. Um, no, but uh, I think that, well, I actually did take time off after Worlds this year, which mm-hmm. um, I haven't done a very good job of in the past. Yeah. Um, but I think it was good because I now feel really, like, excited and, like, mm-hmm. happy to be training. It doesn't, it seems, it's tough because it's, like, on the one hand, I'm, like, it seems so hard. I'm not sure I'm going to make it. But on the other mm-hmm. hand, I'm like, it's really exciting. And this is an exciting year and all that stuff. So again, yeah. I think it has to be yeah. like a balance of the middle. But I think when you don't do as well at Worlds as you want to do or at anything, it's like, like even this just happened to me. I didn't have the race at the mm-hmm. head of the Charles I wanted to have. So I mm-hmm. was like, I got to train, you know, <laughs> like it's just yeah, so yeah, funny. Yeah, yeah. But like... I don't we just there's nothing we can do about that right like it's just the way no. that we're built and well yeah it's like it's not so much like okay don't have that mindset it, like like we're talking about a, the like acknowledging your accomplishments but also pushing forward it's like don't not push forward but as you said find the balance maybe consciously recognize that we tend to be extreme individuals so when we do things, maybe be like, okay, am I being overly extreme? No. Okay. Maybe also get a second opinion okay, then move forward. And that's, yeah. Have a good group of people around you too, to make sure you're not going nuts. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're going to have another great year, but I am sorry that you're dealing with uh, injuries and stuff from the accident still. That yeah. is really a bummer. Just when you think you're done, it comes back up to say, hey, yeah. still here. No, but it's okay. It'll be, I might not, it's not the fall I wanted. And I got started getting super excited to have a good fall. And I think that's what's crushing me so much is I'm like, yes, a fall where I'm not concussed and whatever. And then I'm like, ah, ha, ha. but no, it will be fine. It's just not going to be on the original timeline that I thought it would be. So. <laughs> take my deep breath but this life is anything but predictable so that's for sure cool well thank you so much i really appreciate you sharing and i feel like you had some really great tidbits so this week we have an ask christy anything from luke hoffman from loyola academy in chicago what did you do to get to the point where you are right now like what steps do you have to take and like college school wise and just like all that Well, Luke, I'd say that I really just 
lived high school and college in the moment. I don't think that I had, of course, I thought, oh, it'd be super cool to go to the Olympics. I don't know who doesn't think that. Well, maybe people don't think that. I thought that when I was younger. But I think when I was in high school, I just had goals, you know, for my high school team and the league we were in or, you know, making the junior national team or getting recruited to college, like PRing on my ERG score by a split, you know, everything I think seemed pretty manageable given the stage that I was in. And I think I just really enjoyed being part of my high school team and trying to advance each year like, okay, this year we finished in this place. How can we improve that for the next year? And then it was kind of the same in college. Like I was part of a team. And so we really just focused on the team and, you know, what could I do to help the team and make myself the best version of myself for my teammates and for the eights or the fours that I was in. And it wasn't a lot of like individual goals. I don't think that I started having a ton of individual goals and really like thinking about, you know, elite training until I was done with um, college. So I, I'd say that the best advice I have is to really like live the day that you're in, try to do, you know, the best you can every day. And and those days eventually stack up. And then before you know it, you've like achieved the result that you wanted to achieve without it seeming like this insurmountable thing that's like really far off and scary in the future. That's it for this episode. I hope that everyone really enjoyed it. I really, I really enjoyed talking to Sophia. And I, I just, I'm really grateful to her for coming on and sharing her story because I know it has been a lot. Um, you know, this past year for her. And I just really appreciate her being so open and vulnerable to talk about it. And before I leave you, my quote of the week I want to share, which I actually stole from my producer, Christine, who shares these quotes on her Instagram that I think is like on this little quote thing in her house. And on Halloween, the quote was from the former president of Liberia, Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, which shout out to my cousin whose name is also Ellen Johnson. But anyways, this Ellen Johnson said, if your dreams do not scare you, they are not big enough. So thanks for listening and have a great week. Bye. I'd love to hear from you. So send us a topic suggestion, or if you'd like to submit a question for our Ask Christy Anything segment, head to our website, theother3years.com.